0: Welcome to the Brownstoner Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Corcoran, Editor-in-Chief of Brownstoner. My guest today is Zach Rockhill, company founder and principal of Hatchet Design Build, a full-service design and construction firm based in Brooklyn. Zach, you were an art professor originally before you started Hatchet. Can you tell us the story of how you left that field and got into design and construction?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, I have a background in in the trades and construction. I grew up working for my father um, in Kansas in his design-build practice. I worked with him until I was in my mid-twenties before moving to New York City as an artist. Got my MFA, pursued a career in the arts, taught as an adjunct instructor at Cooper Union, at Parsons, UPenn, Um, and all along I was running a small business on the side um, doing renovations. in 2012, my wife and I bought a building in Crown Heights that had a hole in the roof, and the bank wouldn't give us a loan uh, unless we were in contract with a contractor to, uh, to do the repair. And of course, I was an adjunct instructor of art at the time, and uh, we didn't have money to, to go into contract formally with a contractor to have that happen. But I realized that I could go down to the Department of Consumer Affairs and get my home improvement contractor's license. Uh, So I did that, my wife became the homeowner and I became the contractor. We were able to buy this derelict building and I fixed the roof. Uh, And that kind of set everything in motion for for (laughs) Then other people realized I was a contractor uh, and able to restore brownstones and the phone started to ring.
0: And tell us more about design build. What is that exactly and how is working with a design build firm different from working with a traditional architect contractor?
1: So what what design build allows you to do unlike the the traditional trinity, the triangle arrangement historically between client contractor and architect. Unlike that or, orga- organizing principle, design-build folds two of those points into one, and you create a very streamlined process for um, for delivering the the home to the end user. The, the triangular structure makes a lot of sense when you're building the Barclays Center or you're building a bridge, or you want to make sure that you have uh, checks and balances for liabilities between um, an architect's drawings and a contractor who's been constructed to do just those drawings. With with the townhome renovations that we're doing in Brooklyn, generally the projects are so small that we can collapse the the time schedule and also the budget um, on delivery by by winnowing out some of those processes and procedures that live in that that traditional organizing principle. Um, So in design build, you walk into our office we have architects and designers in-house with us um, you meet us we set in place a design intent um, and at the same time that we're generating the design and there are only so many variables with these townhouses that you can that you'll see um, so we can do that really rapidly and in tandem with that we will be pricing and building a pricing matrix for the for the project that you want to that you want to see built And then we can virtually immediately go into construction. Now, in the traditional delivery model, what you have is you have a series of uh, stop gaps in there. So you meet an architect, that architect designs for you, and then those construction documents that the architect generates have to be put out to bid. Um, So you bid it to three or four contractors, and those three or four contractors bring back Apples to oranges to pears pricing, and you have to figure out what's what, and that bakes in two to three to four months of time of trying to figure out. Well, is that a person a real contractor, or is it a, a, a young man with a pickup truck who doesn't know what he's doing? And is this person a so on and so forth. So it's it's hard to see clearly, and you have to winnow all of that information out. What I realized was that. Um, There are so many resources online now that the vast majority of our clients are really sophisticated about construction pricing. You can simply Google search tile square foot installation cost and come up with exactly what the marketplace is for our pricing. Um, So we drop out that portion of three to four months of bid leveling. Um, and collapse people's time frames for construction. And of course, like anyone else in New York City, if you're doing construction on your home and you can't live there, it means you're paying, you're paying your mortgage and a rent or you're paying two mortgages. So if we can say to people, um, you're gonna come in and we're gonna take three months out, that could be $2,500 a month, that could be $10,000 a month for people. You don't know what it is, but that's a savings that they can then put back into that project. The other thing that it allows, design build allows us to do is to um, be really dynamic in the building process. So there isn't, uh, there's on the job site, there's fluidity between the design office and our construction field staff that allows us to make informed design decisions um, without having to go through a, a long process of information transmittal back and forth to a third party architect to verify. And that can save our clients a lot of time and a lot of money as well. Um, So those are some of the high points that we see differences in.
0: And so not only do you specialize in residential renovation and have architects, but you also have a a mill shop that fabricates everything that you need for your projects. And you specialize in mixing contemporary design and honoring a historic home's existing charm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that approach, mixing those two things, using the example of the 19th century Park Slope townhouse that you renovated that's near Grand Army Plaza?
1: yeah sure so our our mill shop the subsidiary mill shop is uh, called good Dog Rosie um, named after the, our dog uh, and they are we have a, a group of really gifted craftsmen with us who can make virtually anything um, and one of the things that we were looking to do on that project on just off of Grand Army Plaza was to preserve a lot of the historic charm of the building, existing plaster moldings, uh, burled walnut inlaid doors and so on. Um, And then to install next to that, contemporary millwork um, that would act to conceal air handlers, um, refrigerators, all of the amenities, all the infrastructure and amenities of modern living. And to do so in a a kind of streamlined and clean fashion that would dovetail with what our clients' expectations were for the way that they wanted to live. So we were able to, uh, to design, fabricate, and install a lacquer, a white lacquer uh, cabinet that was very, very clean and lived in harmony with the historic moldings that surrounded it. So we spent a lot of time thinking about the existing details and where our millwork, for instance, would bisect or intersect with the crown molding or come into contact with the historic window casings that stood adjacent to it. Those are were, those were some of the pressure points that land on uh, that land on a considered design in relationship to millwork and installation. You oftentimes see poorly considered installations of millwork, kitchen cabinetry, renovations, where a wall will bisect uh, historic molding, for instance, or um, existing woodwork will be chopped in half to install a window box or a radiator cover. We really actively try to avoid half gestures with with our work.
0: And can you talk a little bit about how does your background as an artist influence the work you do now?
1: The kind of art that I was involved with wasn't really concerned with with beauty per se. It was it was concerned with being rigorous about our thinking of ourselves in the world as artists. And um, I was involved with sculpture and with performance and. And so a lot of people will say to me, "Oh, you were an artist, you want to make beautiful things," right? And and while that is true that that now with the work that we're doing our goal is to deliver something that our clients are very very happy with. My the way that I experience my self as an artist in the world in relationship to the work that I'm doing now is the complexity of working in New York City. It is a very very complicated environment to to do what we're trying to do and the between the Department of Buildings and the regulatory environment that we have to work in and the, and the pressures of our clients time schedules and limited resources the the vector points that come to bear on delivering something beautiful to our clients are, are very forceful and and take a lot of consideration um, so I would say that that's probably the place where my creativity now comes into the greatest play is, figuring out how to deliver something beautiful under difficult circumstances often.
0: And right now, you run your business out of a commercial space on the ground floor of that 19th century townhouse that you and your wife bought in Crown Heights, and you have chickens in the backyard. Has that space <laughs> influenced your work in any way?
1: <laughs> um, let's see. E- yes, because it's the shortest commute ever, which is both a, a wonderful thing and a terrible thing. So um, I don't have any excuses for missing work. Uh the space itself, we renovated in a very, very simple way. And and I don't think it bears a, an aesthetic relationship to the work that we're doing in the field. Many of our clients have much, much more pristine homes than the one I live in now. Mine isn't a townhouse. It's an old carriage house or farrier's building. So it's a commercial, what would have been a 19th century commercial building. I think it was maybe a cafe. It has a it has no stoop. It's a ground floor entry into the building. My wife and daughter and I live upstairs above it. Um, it's given us a lot of latitude for us to to make mistakes with the business, to experiment and to play. For a long time, the mill shop was in the cellar of our building, uh, so I could just walk straight downstairs and talk to the, our fabricators who were working on, on projects for us. I guess the, the biggest effect that it had on the business was it gave us a lot of fluidity to have it grow in a really organic way.
0: And I know you have plans now to build a, a ground-up space for your business. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what your plans are?
1: Yeah, sure. So we're our mill shop right now is in East New York near Broadway Junction, and I found a small piece of commercial property that is around the corner from from our Liberty Avenue rental shop right now. And I've always wanted to have a larger maker space that was our own. I'm interested not only in having our mill shop there, but I would really love to have in-house to us a metal fabrication studio or a ceramic studio. There's so many aspects of these 19th century townhouses that I would love to be able to fabricate on our own and not be beholden to third party purveyors of materials that I have a kind of running fantasy that this building will be like a, a maker space of sorts. Um, but what it is is it's a commercial space that we can build roughly 7,500 square feet on in a three-story building. Um, we're going to be filing it with the Department of Buildings shortly, and I'm hoping to break ground on it in February after the after the winter breaks.
0: And you mentioned ceramics. Are you planning to – are you thinking of manufacturing, reproduction, Victorian tile?
1: Uh, in part, yeah. I But our interest as designers is – it, once you're set up to do ceramics, you can reproduce or, or marry a say a, a missing hearth piece on your own right And that's really great to be able to do because there's everyone knows you go into some of these houses if you go on walkthroughs at open for open houses and you look and you think, wow, this is really beautiful, but boy there are four missing orange tile. How do you fix that? you know um, So on the one hand yes to have that, but then also to be able to just make our own, contemporary versions of, that sort of those sorts of materials. And with, with a, many of my staff are artists also, we have some really great people with us who happen to be bookkeepers now or accountants or field staff with us, but very gifted people that I know that if we put the resources in place and had a ceramic studio, that that, that kind of playful environment of experimenting with materials would lead to really interesting design solutions going forward and also the capacity to restore things historically.
0: Thank you so much.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Brownstoner podcast. Visit us at brownstoner.com.